We're in a, a Robert Morris series uh, called Dreams to Destiny, and last week we talked about uh, the pride test. We're uh, using the life of Joseph uh, as an example, and Joseph went through 10 different character tests. Uh, he had this dream when he was 17 years old, but he has to go through this kind of refining process, these 10 different character tests, uh, in order for him to fulfill or reach his destiny. And I want to just say the same is true for us. A lot of us have this dream about what we believe that God wants to do for us, but we never reach our destiny because we live in the dream. We're stuck in the dream, and the reason that we're stuck in the dream is because there's some character qualities or flaws in our life that God wants to deal with, and we just kind of put God on hold. You remember my testimony that I, God used to say to me, the Holy Spirit, when I first got saved, the Lord would say to me, when I was still in my sinful ways, even after coming to the Lord, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit would whisper to me, Ron, I want to do great things in your life, but you won't let me. And I always wanted to bargain with God. Tell me, first of all, God, what those great things are. Let me see what those great things look like. And then I'll let you know if I want to, you know, shape up. But he never would. God was driving me crazy. The Holy Spirit was driving me crazy. He kept saying, I want to do great things in your life, but you won't let me. And the only way that I could find out what those great things were was to surrender to God. Some of you are in that same place today. Now, last week we talked about uh, the pride test using uh, Joseph. Um, remember, he had the, he had these dreams, a series of dreams. He had these uh, dreams uh, or a dream about uh, twelve sheaves that were in a field, and uh, he said that you know he, he was one of the sheaves, and uh, eleven sheaves bowed down to his sheep. And he told his brothers that. It said the Bible says that they hated him uh, because of his words and because of the dream that he had. Then he has another dream about the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down to him. And he tells that to them. And his father, Jacob, says, what do you mean? Do you mean to say that, you're, that, that I, your father, and your mother, and your 11 brothers are going to bow down to you? And it says that, again, his brothers hated him even the more and, uh, because of his words and because of the dream. And now we're going to pick up. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the pit test. I thought that the man that fell in a hole was a good video to as a springboard, as an introduction to this. Uh, and we pick up in Genesis 37. It says, now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And let me just say, just before we get into this, uh, you know, I, my prayer is that the, uh, this morning that the word of God, uh, Isaiah says that God sends forth his word and it accomplishes what he purposes, what he intends it to do. Um, so the psalmist says that he sent forth his word and healed them through the through just the sending, the releasing of God's word brought healing to them. I believe there's some of you here this morning that need to hear God's word for direction in your life. I believe that some of you are here this morning that need healing in your life, maybe a physical healing, maybe a spiritual healing. And my prayer is that as the word goes forth this morning, not at me as the speaker this morning, but as God's word comes off of the pages, out of the Bible, and into your ears, to your heart, that God is going to do something great in your heart this morning. So, we see here that uh, Genesis 37 and the first, uh, Genesis 37 to about 47 or uh, the story of Joseph, you want to read ahead, uh, you can read this great story about this great man of God who God had, had given these dreams to and had an incredible purpose for his life and that was to really to save the world. Um, 
And we'll see, we'll talk about later on about some types and shadows and how uh, that Joseph really is kind of a, a type of Christ. But before we get there, let's just look at this again. His brothers had gone out to graze the father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, you know your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, uh, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. And he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and the flocks. And bring me word back. And then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. And when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering about in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. And so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. And before, I want you to just think about this for a while. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, apparently there's another guy out there in the field. But apparently they recognized Joseph, it says. But they saw him in the distance before he reached them, and they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. I mean, it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around brothers talking about another brother like this. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal has devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And when Reuben, and Reuben was the firstborn, uh, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert. But don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into a cistern. Now the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. You know, it reminds me of the story of, uh, and I probably have told it here, about the man that was working uh, the late shift, and he always took a shortcut home, uh, and that shortcut uh, passed through a cemetery. And he was, he was going through the cemetery this one night. Uh, they had dug a fresh grave that day, and this man stepped into this, this pit, this uh, grave. And uh, he's screaming and hollering and scratching and clawing dirt and grass and rocks and, you know, just exhausted himself. And he just decided to just sit in the corner of this uh, freshly dug grave and wait till the next day. He said, surely somebody will come by and find me and I can get out tomorrow. So he's sitting there. And uh, after a period of time, the town drunk is walking through the same cemetery and falls into the same hole. And he begins the same process. He's hollering, screaming, kicking and clawing grass and rocks and dirt and uh, to no avail, and uh, finally, uh, this uh, hand touches him on the shoulder and says, you can't get out of here, but he did. <laughs> and, and, and the deal is, guys, that when we fall into the pit, you know, if you're properly motivated, you can get out. You can get out. And I believe that, you know, some of you may find yourself in a pit today, and God wants you to get out. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Let's read the rest of the story. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to G Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. I mean, that's the least we could do, right? We don't kill him. We're just going to sell him as a slave. 
Um, his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchant came by, the brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver, of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the cistern, he saw that Joseph was not there. He tore his clothes and went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? And they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. And they took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, now notice this, listen to this carefully. We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. And he recognized it and said, my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has truly or surely been torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and moaned, mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and daughters uh, came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning I will go to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph to, into Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials and the captain, or, and the captain of the guard. And there's three things that I want us to look at in this story. Number one, the position of the pit. And that is that I think that, you know, when we find ourselves in a pit, we just need to, you know, do some self-examination. Is there something in our life that caused us to end up in the pit where we are? Uh, notice what David said in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me. So when we fall into the pit, when you come to this place where, I mean, you know you're in it, um, you need to ask yourself some self-evaluation. God, is there something that I did? Is there something that I've done in my life uh, to, that's caused me to end up where I am? Uh, you know, I, I, I can give you so many examples, but one of those is a financial pit that sometimes we end up in. And we never think to examine ourselves and say, you know, that I'm robbing from God, I'm stealing from God, I'm not giving my tithes and, and offerings, I'm undergiving and overspending in my life, and maybe this is the reason that I'm in the pit that I'm in right now. Um, you know, there's uh, so many things that we could do that, you know, ourselves uh, to, you know, self-examination. Is there something that, you know, that I've done? Um, you know, and I think about it, you know, typically when we get in the pit, one of the first things that we want to do is start blaming, you know, somebody. I'm, I'm sure that Joseph, could have, he could have sat there and he could have said, you know, it's not because of, uh, of my pride that I'm in the pit. It's because of the envy of my brothers. You know, you can point the finger at someone else. There's some of you that are, have been in the pit forever and you're still blaming people. You're blaming your, your parents or someone else, maybe an ex-wife or an ex-husband or an ex-business partner for where you are and why you're in the situation that you're in today. My God, fellow, you know, you're 48 years old. You know, give it up. Get over it. You know, start serving God. And, uh, you know, go on with your life. You can't stay on. You can't cling to these things of the past and blame other people for, you know, where you are right now. It's time. It's not, you know, the uh, action that has is, is caused you to be in the pit. It's really your reaction to the action that's, you know, causing you to be in the pit and will keep you there. So, you know, it's time for us to get over it. I mean, you can blame the economy. You can blame the bank. We blame Obama. We blame the Democrats. We blame the Republicans, you know. Just face up to it. You're in the pit. You know, 
own up to some responsibility. And I think when we begin to do that, the psalmist says that when I confess my sin to God, when I, when I owned up to my own sin, that's when God began to deliver me. And the, the same is true for us today. It will happen for you the same way. Now, I want us to think about this for a little bit. You know, it says that his brothers saw him at a distance. How is it that they recognized him? Remember, we said that there was another man in the field. How is it that they distinguished Joseph from the other people that might have been traveling through the, the pit or through the field? It was the coat. It was the coat. My gosh, that thing must have been like a hunter orange or fluorescent orange. He stood out. You could see the guy from a mile away. I mean, it was orange. It was purple. It was yellow. It was striped. I mean, you know, he was so proud of this. They didn't have a coat. Uh, Jacob didn't make anybody else a coat except for Joseph. And so this is one of those things that I believe that they begin to envy him about. And I believe that Joseph wore that coat with pride. I mean, I believe that he wore it in New Mexico in the summertime. I mean, he is proud of this coat. I mean, he, he wants everybody to know that his father loves him, that he's the favorite son, and that he's got a coat, and they don't. And so, I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, in your face, I got a coat. And, and think about this. Guys, you know, we talked about this last week. We know from this story that Joseph is 17 years old. I mean, Reuben is the oldest of the brothers. Most of his brothers were in their 20s and 30s, and some of them could have been in their 40s. What is this 17-year-old kid going to tell these guys about raising sheep? Uh, they knew all about sheep. They knew about flocks. They knew about how to tend those things. But, you know, most theologians believe that Jacob was sending, that there was such animosity between, Jacob, uh, between Joseph and his brothers that Jacob was sending him out there to see if there could be some reconciliation, if there could, you know, could, could be some healing in this relationship. But because the Scripture says that their father favored him, he had made him a coat and not them, that they hated his words and hated his dream, and they decided to kill him and then finally throw him in the pit. Um, I want you to just, as we read the Word of God, I want us to think about some uh, similarities here. You know, we know from the Scripture that, that Joseph was the favored son. I want to just tell you this morning, as a son or a daughter of the living God, because of what Christ Jesus did for us at Calvary's cross, we have favor with God. You understand that? Not because of the things that you do, not because of who you are, like Joseph, but simply because you're a child of God. You have God's favor. We see in this story that Jacob gave uh, Joseph this gift. I want to tell you the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that God has given us gifts as well. He's given you gifts. He's given me gifts. So let's just think about it for a second. Let's break it down. We see here that... Uh, because of his pride, because of his, like, in-your-face attitude toward his brothers, he ended up losing his gift. And I know that many of us may be thinking, some of you may be thinking, you know, that, well, Romans 11 says that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And that's true that they are. Um, but we didn't say that God took the gift from him. What I'm saying is that he lost his gift. And we've seen here recently in the last couple of years some very high-profile ministers in this nation that have lost their gift. They've lost their position uh, because of a character flaw, uh, because they were not responsible. 
And the second thing is that if, you know, if we want to use this uh, uh, Romans eleven twenty nine as an analogy uh, about the gifts and the calling of God or without repentance, um, you know, we see that, as I said, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of high-profile people that have lost it. Um, and so I, many of you may be thinking this morning, well, I've done stupid things. I've done foolish things in my life. Maybe I've lost my gift as well. Now, I'm going to just assure you this morning that the Bible says that when we come to the Lord, if you come to him because of something that you've done foolishly or stupidly and, um, you know, you feel like you may have lost your gift, I want to just tell you that, the, that God, he will hear your heart. If you come to him in brokenness and in repentance, he, will give, he, he is a God that restores, and he will restore you. He will restore your gift to you. And, and think about it. Think about it. He may have lost that gift. But remember when, you know, when he reached, when he was finally in this place of destiny where he was the governor, he was the second in command of Egypt. Well, think about it. I mean, he's like the second wealthiest guy there. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can just imagine that, you know, Joseph had a hundred coats. He may have lost that one, but I believe that he had a, and it was like, you know, one of those closets where you push a button and bzz, the coats go by. You know, which one do I want today? Uh, you know, that God will restore your gift to you. Um, and the fourth thing is that, that some, some of you may say, well, it's not the same. You know, it wasn't the same coat. You know, it wasn't the same gift. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it wasn't. I believe that, you know, Joseph cherished that coat. He made, or Jacob cherished that coat. He made it for his son. I believe that he might have kept it as a keepsake. But the most important thing besides the gift is that what was restored to Joseph was a relationship with his father. And more important than any gift that we have today is a restoration. If you've fallen out of a relationship with the father, God wants to restore you to that relationship today. So the first thing that we see is the position, you know, just a self-examination of what got us into the pit. The second thing that I want us to look at is the perspective of the pit. And what I mean when I talk about that is that uh, from God's perspective, not from, you know, our perspective, but, you know, how does God see this? You know, the first thing that happens, one of the first things that happens when we fall into the pit, you know, we will start to say, first of all, we start the blame thing. God, how could you do this to me? How could you let this happen to me? I mean, I am your man. I am the man you're giving dreams and visions to. I am the man that you're going to use. How can you let this happen to me? Many times that happens to us. When we get into the pit, when we fall into these pits of life, we start, you know, wondering why. Why, God? What's going on here? And then the next thing that happens, the first one that shows up typically is not God, but the first person that shows up to talk to you about your pit relationship is the devil. Remember what Revelation says in uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, says that Satan is the accuser of the brothers. And the first thing that Satan will do is come up and say to you, you know, you're a horrible person, you're a bad person, that's why you're in the pit, and uh, he'll begin to bring this condemnation to you. Now, I, I want you to know, you know, we all know the, uh, the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16 that talks about how God did not, uh, or for God, sent his, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but ever have everlasting life. But the next verse, verse 17 says, God did not send his son, God did not send his son 
into the world to condemn the world. And so, you know, the difference between a conviction of the Holy Spirit and um, a condemnation from the devil is that a conviction is just generally, it's, uh, it's specific. God will say to you, this is the reason that you're in the pit. This is what you've done, and if you repent, you'll be restored. Condemnation is general. I mean, it's just like you're a rotten person, you're a horrible person, you're a bad person. God could never use you. It's over for you. Life is over for you. I mean, that's condemnation. And so when you're in the pit, uh, get the perspective, get God's perspective on why you're in the pit. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 says, Consequently, just as the result, talking about condemnation, of the one trespass uh, was condemnation of all men. As a result of one act... Um, of righteousness and justification that brings life to all men. Listen, he says that, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, if we think about condemnation, this condemnation, we were already condemned. You were already condemned before you came to Christ. And again, John 3, 17, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but uh, that the world would be saved through him. Now, again, you know, as we are in the pit, you're going to hear lies. You know, the devil's going to come to you and tell you about how bad a person you are. John chapter 8, verse 44 says that he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth because there is no truth in him. You know, it's kind of like that saying, if his mouth is moving, he's lying. And that's the truth about Satan. It says there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lives. Now, I want you to notice the lie in this story, the big lie in this story, Genesis 37, verse 31. They, they speaking at the brothers, about the brothers, his 11 brothers, got Joseph's uh, robe, and they slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. And he recognized it. It is my son's robe. Now, initially, remember what they said they were going to tell Joseph or Jacob? They said, let's dip this robe in blood and tell him that wild animals killed your son. But they never got the opportunity to do that. When they presented the robe to him, he recognized it, and he said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph surely has been torn to pieces. And so I, I want you to see in this that Satan is such a good liar that he will even fabricate evidence to uh, uh, hold up his lie so that uh, uh, he give evidence to his lie. They never said that a wild beast had killed him, and yet, you know, the sad thing and the hurtful thing about this story is that night after night, and Jacob said that I'll go to the grave mourning for my son. But night after night, for 20, I believe it was some 22 years from the time that uh, J uh, Joseph was sold into slavery until he met his father again in Egypt during that famine, some 22 years, night after night, he believed a lie. He was lying in bed. He cried himself to sleep many nights uh, thinking about his son, crying for his lost son when his other sons were right across the hall, listened to him weeping and wailing in the night, 
and never told him the truth about what happened to his son. I mean, it's just horrible, and incredibly horrible. How that, That's the hardness of sin. That's what sin does to us. Well, I want to just tell you that, you know, Satan is still doing the same thing today. That some of you in your business today, you'll look at the Wall Street Journal and you'll read the, you know, bad economic report and you'll think that, you'll believe that over what God's Word has to say about you and your business and what God intends to do with your business. Or you'll uh, read the same thing about a medical report and you'll believe that rather than believe that God has the ability and the heart and the desire to bring healing to you. And, and probably, you know, Isaiah 53, 1 says, who's believed our report? God's saying, I've got a report out there. Who's believed my report? Remember that old song that we, we used to sing, you know, whose report will you believe? And the response is, we will believe the report of the Lord. Um, but let me just tell you guys, let me, and men, I want to just speak to you right now. Probably the number one lie that Satan will speak into our lives today is that you married the wrong person. That you are, you married an opposite. That you're so different. You know, you're different than her. She's different from you. Well, of course you're opposite. You know, you wouldn't want to marry someone like you. You don't even like you. You'd kill yourself if you married you. You hate you. Why would you marry someone like you? You marry someone opposite, and then you'll go to the gym. You'll start going to the gym, and you'll start working out, and you'll see someone there that's working out, and you think, man, that's my mate. That's my soulmate. We're like-minded. This is the one that, you know, that God has meant for me. This is a sign. That's a lie. This is the lie that Satan will fabricate in your life so that you can see this, and you start to believe the lie. Remember what we said, that he is a, a liar. He's a liar from the beginning. And I've had guys tell me, you know, God's given me a sign. God's given me a sign to divorce my wife and marry this other woman. And I'm telling you, you, you're, you know, you're believing a lie. God did not say that to you. Are you guys with me this morning? Or am I preaching to myself? <laughs> um, ser seriously, you know, it, it's... Uh, you know, God believes, the Word of God teaches that marriage is, is holy and it's sacred in the eyes of God and that God today still hates divorce. And I know that 50% of the church and 50% of our society has gone through that. I'm just, I'm, I'm saying this, please, I'm not condemning you. I'm not speaking this as condemnation, but I'm just telling you what God's Word said. This is the heart of God that He believes in the sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of life. All right, let's move on. Third point, the purpose of the pit. And I would just tell you this as we wrap this up, and that maybe our worship team could come up and our prayer ministers could get ready to take your positions. The purpose of the pit, it's the same every time, the same thing every time. The purpose of the pit is to get you to call out to God, to get you to call upon the name of the Lord. Let me give you an example from the Scripture, from the book of Jonah. Uh, you guys remember the story of Jonah, how... Uh, that uh, God has a, 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 a destiny, he has a purpose for Jonah's life, and Jonah says, I'm not hearing it, I'm going a different direction. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Um, Jonah says, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm, I'm, I'm going a different direction than what you've called me to do, God. Some of you are in that place today, you're going in a different direction than God has called you. Um, Maybe we can learn something from this story. Jonah chapter 2, from inside the fish, 
Jonah's already been swallowed up. Jonah prayed to God. He said, I'm in distress, or in my distress I called to God, and he answered me. From the depth of the grave, I called out for help, and you listen, listen to this, you listen, God listens when you're in the pit. You say, well, Joseph or Jonah wasn't in the pit. He was in the pit. We'll find out in a second. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. The same is true for you today. It says, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. The currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath uh, barred me in forever. But you brought up my life from the pit. And I want to just tell you that the same thing is true today. If you find yourself in the pit, God is saying, you just call out to me. He says, calling to me, I'm going to show you great and mighty things that you don't even know of. Um, we get down into, the, into this pit, and I think about, you know, Joseph and, and how he felt when he might have been in the pit, and he might have gone through all the things that we would have said. God, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that you're letting my brothers do this to me. You know the dream that you gave me. They're supposed to be bowing down to me, and yet I'm in the pit. Why is this happening and then, you know, after a little while in the pit, you know, I, I'm just thinking of his thought process. You know, he might have been saying, well, Lord, you know, uh, maybe I did have something to do with this. You know, I, you know I, I probably shouldn't have been flashing that coat in their face and talking to them, waving my dreams and visions in their face that they're all going to bow down to me. Uh, maybe I did have a little bit of something to do with this. And then I, I think that maybe after a while, I believe that Joseph just kind of broke and just said, God, it's this, you're right and I'm wrong. This is my fault. And I'm in this pit because of what I've done. I take and acknowledge my, my sin before you, God. I'm sorry. And I believe at the time that he was saying that, remember they threw him in the pit. They were going to kill him. Initially, that was the plan. That was plan A. And I believe that, and I don't know, there's not scripture to really prove this, but you know, you might be able to put it together, that I believe that as he is in the pit reconsidering his life, that all of a sudden this caravan's driving up, and it was Judah that said, hey, let's don't kill him. We can make some money off of this guy, and uh, let's sell him. As I mentioned earlier, uh, that there are types and shadows. Uh, let me just give you a couple of these, and we're going to wrap this up. I want us to go back to verse 21. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Now listen to this. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to the father. Now remember, Reuben is the firstborn. And in, in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, we read that Jesus is the firstborn. And so that Reuben is a type of Christ, an Old Testament type of Christ. You had the, the reality of, yes, he was really their brother, but the foreshadowing of Christ, that Reuben was really a type and a shadow of Christ. And notice what it says, the reason that he wanted to bring him back. He said that Reuben wanted to, the firstborn wanted to rescue him get him out of the pit, and bring him back into a relationship with the Father. 
And I'm going to just tell you that that's what Jesus wants to do in your heart today, in your life today, is to rescue you and bring you back into a relationship with the Father. And the second type and shadow that we see is of, um, of Joseph. Um, we see that Joseph was uh, a type of Christ. He was stripped of his robe. But we see that Jesus, when he was crucified, was stripped of his robe. We see that Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, but he was sold to Midianite traders, and they bought him so they could sell him and uh, to make a profit. A history, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but history tells us that uh, a slave during those days would have been sold for 30 pieces of silver. So we see that Joseph was eventually sold for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Um, we see that these slave, or this, uh, uh, the Ishmaelites, uh, the caravan of Ishmaelites, were on their way to Egypt with uh, spices and myrrh and balm. And we read in John chapter 19 that uh, Jesus, when he was prepared for burial, uh, they pre uh, prepared him with uh, spices and uh, myrrh and balm. We see that Judah, Judas, or Judah, uh, one of the 12 brothers, uh, it was his idea to uh, sell Judas or to betray his brother. We see Judas in the New Testament betraying Jesus. And we see that uh, Joseph was thrown into a pit, and we see that Jesus was thrown into a pit. The difference is that Jesus did nothing to be thrown into the pit. He was thrown into the pit for our sake, for your sake, and for my sake. So uh, I want you to just to stand with me for just a moment, and I want to pray with you and give you an opportunity. We talk about our dreams, and we talk about our destiny, and we, I, I want us to just kind of flash forward uh, to the next, uh, you know, uh, 13 some odd years of Joseph's life. He gets into Pharaoh's court. They have the seven good years and then the uh, seven bad years. And God's dream and his destiny for our life, just like Joseph, at the end, Joseph's destiny was to save the world and to help people. Well, we see that Jesus has a destiny like that too, to save the world and to help people. But our gifts and our calling from God, our dream and our destiny is never about us. It's always about helping other people.